As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. The draft is in less than 48 hours if you're listening to the show when it dropped and it's getting pretty interesting there at the top i mean we know who number one's going to be we think we know who number two is going to be but then it gets very very intriguing and to talk about it i bring on a guy who knows these guys from college but also has the contacts in the nfl to get an unvarnished opinion of these guys as draft prospects bruce feldman how you doing bruce I'm doing great, Andy. I get goosebumps just as we're talking draft and that it, we're almost here. Because to me, it's one of my favorite events. Um, loved, used to love going to the Combine until obviously they haven't had it this year. Um, and just can't wait to see how this plays out. It's like the freaks list come to life. That's why you like it so much. I, I, I know you. Guilty. Yes, it is. I mean, I love the evaluation stuff. I love the idea of you know, we think these guys are good players and they are good players in college, but they get so picked apart in the scrutiny on the, on why people think they're good or why they're maybe not so good. Um, I'm, it's just fascinating to me. I just love that part of it. And so this has been fun to be a little more involved in the athletics for, uh, you know, draft coverage. Yeah. And, and that's, it's crazy because we see guys and, and we think, Oh, they're great college players. This will automatically translate. And then you, you don't know. I mean, if at the beginning of the, the season, I told you that Kyle Trask was going to be a Heisman finalist and BYU wasn't going to play a single power five team, but Zach Wilson's going to be the, the definite number two pick in the draft. And Kyle Trask is going to be in that second group of QBs somewhere, second, third round. What would you have said? The, the, the Zach Wilson part is the more of the of the oh my God thing because, you know, this is not a knock on Kyle Trask or, you know, it's like I could, I think it's more likely when we see somebody who's super productive in college and then when they get evaluated by the NFL, the NFL is not that wowed by them. That feel, I feel like that happens right. more and it, than it the guy. And it feels fairly unanimous with Trask. Like, yeah. There's not a lot of argument about that. Right. I, and so, and I think some of it goes back to he's, you know, really, you know, plotting or not kind of limited athletically, but, um, 
you know, to me, it's the Zach Wilson rocket ship ride more than anything else. And I'm not saying it's not real, but as you said, like through no fault of their own, BYU, because the pandemic could not schedule power five opponents. And so they were better than everybody. And he wasn't facing SEC or even Pac-12 or Big Ten defensive fronts. And I think that clouds the evaluation a little bit more than normal. Let me let me start because you, you've talked to some some QB coaches in the NFL We'll start with quarterbacks because that's what everybody wants to talk about. And that's really what's going to dictate the terms of the early first round anyway. So there are two big questions. The first big question is, who do the 49ers take at three? And then the next big question is, do the Falcons take a quarterback? And so let's start with with number three in the 49ers, because you talked to some folks. uh, You talked to one coach who said, I'm driving the Mac Jones bandwagon. And I'm assuming that's not Kyle Shanahan, but, you know, but so the, but the, the praise for Mac Jones among certain NFL folks has been off the charts. And I think people look at that and say, well, you know, wasn't it because he was playing with other first rounders and and a great offensive line? Doesn't that matter? Because, you know, we go back to Trask where he was very productive playing with Kyle Pitts and, and playing with some really talented receiver, Darius Tony, but with Jones, that doesn't seem to be holding him back at all. Ditto for Wilson having a, a dominant offensive line, not holding him back. And so, you know, where does where does Jones fit in this? And and if you're if you're the 49ers, is it, it does it come down to Jones or Trey Lance? I think it, when they look at yeah, that's what it sounds like it's going to come to start. Let's start there. And you have two very different prospects. Physically, Trey Lance is 6'4". He's almost 230. He's got the biggest arm in uh, in the group. Whereas if you take the top five, and if I imagine even if you extend it seven and let's, or extend, extend it eight and throw Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, mm-hmm. and Trask in there, he probably has the least elite arm, you know, in terms of in terms of juice in it. Now, the coaches I talk to think he has a really good arm because he's really accurate and he anticipates very well. And they think he can make all the throws. Now, one of the coaches is a veteran NFL uh, quarterback coach and has spent a lot of time in the league and also played the position, made the point that I think I like, I like Mac Jones. I think he has a very high floor, meaning I don't think he's going to be a disaster for a team. But it's can he get his feet right all the time because he's going to need his feet to be right in the pocket because he's not he can't do what Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes or what a lot of quarterbacks, at least in the NFL, have the horsepower to be able to get accomplished. And so what what's interesting to me with 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 Mac Jones, because one of the things that definitely came up was to complete, to put up the numbers he did against SEC defenses without like bad, you know, like non-conference games mixed in. Um, yeah, he had terrific talent around him, but he also was in Sark's offense with a lot of pro concepts. And so some of mm-hmm. these quarterbacks have some of that um, awareness and understanding. They do not have it to the degree of Mac Jones. Mac Jones, you know, was great in the interview. A lot of the quarterbacks were really good. I was told he was great in the interview in terms of his knowledge of everything. Now, to me, Trey Lance is is definitely a wild card because he only has one year of of real competition, and it's at the FCS level. He was great. Um, he ran for eleven hundred yards. He won a lot of games. The as we mentioned, the arm talent is eye popping. 
everybody loves his football intelligence. He interviewed well. They love his character, you know, the intangibles. But if, and there is a but, it's two things. One, it is the competition level. Um, but the other part of it is the one game he did play this year, this past year, was against Central, Central Arkansas. Arkansas. Completed yeah. 50% of his passes. Uh, a bunch of the throws he missed, you know, this particular coach was like, NFL quarterback should be making that throw. And so his mechanics are a little, um, a little inconsistent and those need to be refined. But I don't think from everything I've heard from people who've coached him, worked with him, um, and also met with him in the process, I don't think Trey Lance has a, has a much of a bust factor because of the intangibles with the physical, like, I don't know what his, like, you know, if he proves not to be very accurate, obviously that would be the thing that keeps him from being an elite quarterback. Cause I think everything else is there, but that is a big yeah. question mark. And, and now we are kind of contractually obligated to mention Josh Allen, who was not particularly accurate at Wyoming, but then got accurate in the NFL, which still may be the exception that proves the rule. But it is possible now. So we've we've seen that. And, and and Trey Lance was not inaccurate at North Dakota State other than that one game. So it will, yeah, that, that's that's not it. But but the level of competition thing, I'm sure, is a concern for these guys, just as it is with Zach Wilson. Right. And I think and it's even more so probably with, with Trey, because, he, you know, in one hand, Trey has smaller sample size. It's not like they're throwing it 45 times a game, you know, with the Bison either. The thing that Zach Wilson has also as a hesitation is he's a good athlete too, but he's much slighter frame, right? And so, you know, one of the guys I talked to, and not for this piece on The Athletic, but for about a month ago, made the point, you do not see a lot of little guys lasting. You know, Kyler Murray is is tiny by NFL standards, but he is a different level you know, wheels than he's any so of the guys. Fast. He's yeah, so he fast. He's like a, and, yeah. yeah, he's like Sonic out there. And then you have like Russell Wilson, who's a short guy, but he's built like a running back. Um, whereas Zach Wilson, it's, you don't see that kind of frame if he's going to be a little like wild and loose with how, and, and as one of these coaches said, you know, he, he didn't, you didn't see him a lot in a tight pocket and our league is a tight pocket league. So there is, some of that concern, um, I, you mentioned Zach, uh, Josh Allen. And one thing that was interesting is, you know, Stu, Stu, who I do the pod, the audible with, he had, you know, kind of owned up to this. And I, I can't say I wasn't thinking along this lines too, but we were both me, not as much as him, super skeptical of Josh Allen four years ago, because, you know, when he played pretty good competition, they did not play well, right? Yeah. And the and they, the, the, that Iowa game was horrendous. Yeah. So there and there's bad decisions and everything. And I remember I did one NFL game as a sideline reporter. It was as a Bills game at, near the end of his rookie year. And I remember coming back and talking to Stu, and I was like, "Hey, you know, this wasn't for our podcast, but I was just like, hey, I think we're going to be wrong on Josh Allen. They love him, and there's a bunch of stuff that's pretty, pretty." Um, you know, pretty telling about him. It's not to say he's going to be a Super Bowl quarterback at that point, but because he didn't have much talent around him. Now, I know you spent time around him with Whitfield, George Whitfield, yeah, before his last year at Wyoming. So maybe you have a little better read on what he was than than most I, of us I did. didn't. I didn't know though because the accuracy was what bugged me. The athleticism and the arm were undeniable. Right. The personality was great. The intelligence was great. You knew. You knew he had all that stuff. It was just, can you, and the, and, and the thing that, 
that bugged me the most about the accuracy was he was playing in an offense at Wyoming that was similar to what he was going to have to play in in the NFL. Right. You know, he wasn't going to have to learn much. He, but, but the other thing that also gave me confidence that he could come in and play quickly because he didn't have to be taught how to identify a Mike linebacker. He didn't have to have to be taught how to slide a protection or you know adjust turn things his back up to, front. Turn his back to the defense. Exactly. He yeah. already knew how to take a snap from under center. So, I mean, that's the sort of thing that is a learning curve that he didn't need. So he could work on refining that other stuff. Now, I think a lot of it has to do with you trade for Stephon Diggs, you, you give the guy some more weapons, and suddenly you're a lot more accurate quarterback. So yeah. uh, I think that helps. But, but I also think Josh Allen put the work in. And you know that not many people are athletic or, or talented enough to overcome that. But he's such a, you know, in terms of arm and in terms of just pure oh, yeah. athleticism. And such size. A I mean, he's yeah. because that rookie year, he, because they were so depleted, like Robert Foster was their best bunch. weapon. Yeah. They were down through. Yeah, he was running. It's almost like he's not quite tight end size, but that's what he's doing. And that was one of the things that's come up where, you know, Co- QB coach one made the point of like, if, if Zach, you know, if you're at a team where it's like, say Zach Wilson and everything is like shitting the bed around you, it's like Josh, you know, these uh, Trey Lance and Justin Fields are big enough and definitely athletic enough where they can do a lot of damage on defenses running the football, or at least do some and kind of yeah. maybe move the chains, which certainly the Bills and, and did with, tr- and with Trevor Josh Allen. to a degree, even though he's more slight. Yeah, he's very and, fast. Yeah, and that's that's true. Now you won't see that certainly with with uh, Mac Jones, and you definitely wouldn't see that um, with Kyle Trask per se, but. Um, it's going to be interesting. Like I'm getting back to, to Mac Jones. And I know you've written a lot about Mac Jones too. Um, I asked this one coach who was like, you know, the guy who made the point about, I think he has the highest floor of all these guys, maybe the lowest ceiling. I said, could he be a better Kirk cousins? And he said, yeah, I think that's probably a fair comparison. And then I asked him, what is the difference? Like if his, ability to see the game and his knowledge of the game and his accuracy is so high level, could he be along the lines of a Drew Brees? Now, obviously he's taller than Drew Brees and Drew Brees was really athletic, you know, and quick. I don't know if he's that, but could he be that? And this person was like, maybe, you know, that's a high bar to set, but you're like, cause if, if he's Kirk Cousins, that's not a, you're not taking him. You shouldn't is, be taking him with the top five pick. Yeah, but Kirk Cousins is a guy Kyle Shanahan kind of covets or, right. you know, got to work with him a little bit and then had, right. and, and then it was done. And so that's the type of person he might want. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, 
the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. If you're the 49ers, who are you taking? Um, you know, if, if I have to win in, in the next year, like, I mean, you, if we're talking about win, you're talking about Which like, they do, they went to the Super Bowl two years ago. They're one. I know the thing is, do you think you're going to have a rookie quarterback lead you to the Super Bowl? Like, I think if I'm, if three years from now, four years from now, my gut is Trey Lance may be a, maybe may look like the better pick in 2021. I think you know, Mac Jones probably gives you a better chance to win. So I, I think it comes down to, to, you know, like to me, this is a really interesting, interesting draft. And I'm, I've been predisposed depending on the people I've talked to. So I, you know, if you told me that the 49ers were going to take, could take Zach, Zach, I would be like, that's a good fit. If you're telling me the Jets are taking him, I don't feel so good about about him going to the Jets, and I could see him. I feel good about anybody going to the Jets, but you know, and, and I, that's not fair because it's a brand new coaching staff. But it just, the, but the it, but again, yeah. But the the point that one of the coaches made to me it was people now. When you mentioned pa- Patrick Mahomes, they think of the guy who won the Super Bowl when he was coming out of college at a at a Tech. There was a lot of concern and question about like. How is they didn't win translate? They nobody in the air raids ever succeed in the NFL. Some bad decisions, some questionable throws, and so instead he goes to play behind Alex Smith, which was a great year for him. Plays for arguably the best offensive coach in 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 the NFL and Andy Reid, and also goes to Kansas City, which is which is a lot different media climate than all those factors. You take. Uh, you go into the Jets now, all of a sudden, there's no Tyreek Hill. There's no, like, the weapons around him and the Jets are not there. There's Braxton have, Berrios. I think he's still yeah. on the roster. <laughs> and you have, but you also have, like, a really unproven play caller who, like, six years ago was, like, I think, um, you know, a Brown staffer, but not, like, you know, not, like, a, a longtime often NFL offensive mind. And you're in New York where the expectations are going to be sky high to deal with. Um, and as soon as things go bad... Like if you, I, given that, I think it's going to be, I mean, are you telling me he's going to do much better than what Sam Darnold did in, in New York? I don't know. I mean, I'd be skeptical just because through no fault of his own of the situation he's going into. And then you get, you know, you get Justin Fields who you see some great stuff. I mean, he was a, remarkable against Clemson, shaky against Northwestern. And, you know, he definitely is an intriguing talent, but I think he's the guy that if you told people, you know, 360 days from ago, who's going to be the second pick of the draft. I think it was almost a no brainer. Every person Justin in Fields, college absolutely. would have said Justin Fields. So, all right, let's, let's say the 49ers take Mac Jones. That, that goes, that brings you to the Falcons. They've got Matt Ryan. He's obviously older. They are in a, a salary cap situation where they had to renegotiate his contract just to, just to make some room for this year so they could sign free agents or sign a roster essentially. It's expensive to move on from him, but if Trey Lance and Justin Fields are there, do you take one of them to be your QB of the future? I do. The problem with that is, like, I love Jamar Chase, 
But I don't know how you don't sit there and go, like, unless you have Kelsey at tight end or George Kittle. And even if you oh, do. Kyle Pitts is, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know how you, like, be the one to go, yeah, we could have had Kyle Pitts and we passed on him. When well, you already have a good quarterback. But I would... Like I would, if I was the Falcons in a warped way, I would almost like somebody have drafted Kyle Pitts so he's not an option. And then I take one of those two quarterbacks because I think it's a perfect situation for both of them. I think it's probably a better situation for Lance just because um, he's not in the home, the you know, the area where he grew up. And I'm not saying Justin See, Fields I, is, I, I is think the guy Justin Fields drafted, would but. be an icon in Atlanta if he leads him to the Super Bowl. Like, I, I think he could handle that. I, I don't, you know... He had a year at Georgia. He didn't win the starting job, but Jake Fromm was coming off leading the team to a national title game. So it, the Georgia thing, I think, muddles people's view of fields a little bit. But I don't think that was any fault of his own. You know, that, that situation was just a, a very tough decision for Kirby Smart. And, you know, I, I think I would love to see Justin Fields playing for the Falcons. I, I, I've said this all along. I just think that would be a perfect marriage and I think, again, he would be an icon in Atlanta if he leads the Falcons to a Super Bowl. But Trey Lance, I think, you know, they would, the city would fall in love with him, too, you yeah. know, even, even though he's from Minnesota originally. Uh, but I just I think if you if you can and you're not confident in what the quarterbacks are going to be next year, because you think about next year, it's kind of like Sam Howell, Keaton Slovis. Yeah. And then we don't know. We so. Don't know. You know, it, it, Carson I, I, Strong. I do think nobody, you know, it's like Car, you, Carson just, Strong. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, I think that's one of those things where you may have to, and then you get to the, you get to the Bengals where, you know, everybody's like, oh, Joe Burrow played with Jamar Chase. That's an easy one. No, if you just from my standpoint, you have your quarterback there. If Kyle Pitts and Panay Sewell are available, you take one of those two because you can get a good receiver somewhere else. And they actually have decent receivers. I think the issue is he needs to be protected. Like in that case, you do have your franchise quarterback. Um, if you think Panay Sewell is by far the best lineman, take him. If you know, if you yeah. if you're like, oh, I don't know if he's a better lineman than Elijah Vera Tucker, or I don't know if he's a better lineman uh, than Rashawn Slater, then it's probably a tougher call because um, Pitts is clearly such a such a unique weapon. But I, yeah, I mean, as much, like I said, I, uh, there's nobody who, who's a bigger, like, wow, you know, than I've, what I've seen from Jamar Chase at practices and everything else LSU related. I just think that, as you said, um, you know, there's, there's just feels to me like bigger upside to either Pitts or the, getting the offensive line. You and I have been getting the, the, the hard sell on Panay Sewell since he was a 17 year old freshman from, from his head coach. But yeah. when Mario Cristobal says that about an offensive lineman, I tend to believe it. Well, and not just that, Andy. Like, you know, he starts talking in terms of, like, Miami greats in terms of instincts and yes. different intangible qualities. He's been around the best of the best. Yeah. And so I think because of that, um, you know, like, that's tough to pass up when you're talking about, you know, even if, even if he's not a – even if he's not um, – Orlando Pace as an offensive tackle, he could probably be a, you know, a, a, a the, the most dominant offensive guard in the NFL. He, if he doesn't prove to be a big time offensive tackle. So 
I mean, he's going to make the offensive Quentin line Nelson better. I heard you say that, by the way. I know, I know, I know. Uh, but fortunately, <laughs> he's probably training somewhere in. in uh, he's he's probably military pressing oak tree, oak tree but, trunks. But Panay Sewell could be that guy, though. I mean, remember, like he was, you know, he it's he's like two years younger than what you'd expect a lineman to be coming yeah. out of the draft, and he's already got this enormous amount of physicality. So, I think he's a. I think he he. War pits is a no-brainer for them. Yeah, and that, that's the part that's interesting. Now, we can head, head down a little bit in the first round because I know we, everybody's real top-heavy. I'm curious, talking to you, and we can get out of the first round entirely because you and I have, because we cover these guys in college, you get you know used to being, you say, oh, this guy's good. And then they go into the draft process and, and either they test poorly or people just just don't like them or something, yeah. something just doesn't work. And like I was reading uh, Matt Zinn, it's our friend from, from AL.com. He, he did a, a story talking to a bunch of different college assistants and like he brought up Richard LeCount, the safety at Georgia, Richard LeCount, very productive player the entire time he was at Georgia. Uh, you'd think this is a guy who is going to be a productive player in the NFL. He doesn't necessarily have to be a first round pick, but he may be like a seventh round pick. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just wild to me. Well, Andy, think about this. Remember how much hype Sean Wade got like yes. around the, you know, opting back in. When, yeah. yeah. And, and because Ohio State had this, you know, great run of DBs in the last five or six years. And I remember talking to a bunch of, a bunch of college coaches whose team played Ohio State. And, and this was around the national title game for a story you know, I did at the athletic and it was about, I remember talking to the editor. I was like, I don't think I can run some of this stuff because you can't, you know, write some of this stuff about college players. Now you can, I mean, it's weird. Cause like, I think you can write about it, you know, people, it feels like it's more acceptable to write about pros that way. But, right. and it's not to say like Sean Wade had no business being on the field. It was just con- compared to where the hype was and to what, now, I remember one of the coaches I talked to made the point. He was like, we should have picked on him even more in the game. You know, it was like we just felt like our guy was our guy was building his draft stock against him. You know, that kind of stuff. And so I think what happens when, you know, we in the media, I think we end up hearing a lot of stuff and there's a familiarity. And and look, sometimes guys could be banged up and they're playing and they're putting out bad film. I think it right. could be all those things. Right. And so. Um, uh, I don't know how long ago. It's probably like three years. Remember Mitch Hyatt, who's an offensive lineman? Yeah, at Clemson? the Clemson left tackle. St- yeah, day one starter as a true freshman and started for four years and went undrafted. Yeah, uh, like our friend Barrett Jones, you know, was a beloved lineman in our, you know, in like in college media circles. Outland Trophy quote. winner. Yeah, and it's not. Like, and not to say he was not a really good college player, but like the what they look at, they being you know NFL evaluators whether whether they're coaches or scouts um it's just a way different level of detail on things i mean the stuff i was finding for this story i did last week about about receivers and defensive backs and things just like huh you know you hear it and it's not like they're speaking a different language but the stuff they see and they pick up on is just way way different than you know, what we're seeing on highlights or different things. And, um, you know, it's not to say that they're always right because they're definitely not, but there's, there's just, 
there's a lot of times where you see a player and you're like, okay, I thought that guy was really good. And they're like, well, yeah, he's good. He's not that good. You know, like that's the kind of thing. Right. Or, and, and, that, and that's the difference. You have to be great, especially toward the top of the draft. Like you, there has to be another guy that you know, I, I assumed was going to fall in the draft just because of his medicals, but but then it's also been because of of his play last season is, is Trey Smith, the the offensive lineman from Tennessee. I mean, he had a blood clot issue, so that right there is going to disqualify him from some teams. They're just going to not want to take the risk. But then he has uneven film his last year there. And it's just like, okay, this is a guy, when he came in, you thought, oh, you know, he's starting right away. He's, he's effective in the SEC. This is maybe a potential first rounder. He might, he might be a third or a fourth rounder, maybe. Yeah, similar, similar, not story, but like Dylan Moses, I think your, your old employer, didn't you guys like put him on the cover of the magazine when he was like in ninth grade or uh, eighth no, grade? No, ESPN did that. <laughs> okay. In, in eighth Mild grade, employer, yeah. I guess. Okay. Yeah, well, your old I mean, employer. Now he had he had some significant injuries. I don't think he ever really got back to having the same burst as that. And one of the staffs I talked to said well, he's not even on our board because of the medical history. They said he's a good kid, you know, people like him, but it's just they don't think that there's going to be the risk there. When you started talking about before you talked about um, Trey Smith and you started talking about injury history. I actually thought you were going to talk about Talanoa Hufanga, who plays safety at USC. Really good player has had a has had a bunch of bumps and bangs and injuries over the time, and played through some of it. Um, well, I, but Land, if, Landon Dickerson is is the most interesting injury history case because he may still go first round or early second, and this is a guy who's who's torn his ACL. I think he's torn his ACL three times. And then he had a season-ending ankle injury at Florida State also. Like, every season he was at Florida State ended in an injury. And then his next-to-last season at Alabama was the only healthy season he played. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of wear and tear. Look, Rondell Moore, Stu asked me about him. He's like, why is he not getting more talk? I was like, well, first of all, it's like he's seen as a slot-only guy as a receiver. He's 5'7", and as explosive as he is, he people worry about his durability. You know, they worry about because he has an injury history now. I mean, he was really he was so uh, so dynamic as a freshman, but people haven't seen a lot of him since then. Enough, not enough where you're going to go like, oh, we're going to take him in the first round because you just you're not talking about you're talking about 17 game seasons and more than that. And even like we both love Devonte Smith, but one of the coaches I talked to put it bluntly, he was like in our league, big guys beat up little guys. And he said, with these monsters, when they hit you from the side, that's when you get AC issues. That's when you get collarbone issues. And it's not a question of how tough he is. It's a question of how durable he is. Well, and, and Tutu Atwell's probably, you know, the more extreme version of that. And, and Devontae Smith, obviously, much broader skill set than Tutu Atwell. But Tutu Atwell is so fast that someone will take him. But, but, but yeah, with, with Tutu, he's 100 probably- 55 pounds. <laughs> yeah, but you're also looking at him as maybe he's not going to be a possible top 12 pick. So I think it's no, like the no, investment no. of, you know, you you take, and I'm not saying that Devontae Smith won't be worth it, but if you take him with the 11th pick in the draft and he's he's not finishing seasons, then I think that's where you're, you know, it's different to have that for a third round pick. If he's, you know, gives you some highlights, but then all of a sudden, you know, kind of isn't there for like three weeks and everything. And I think, 
I think we, you know, overlooked that. I remember years ago, years and years ago, I did a Ed Reed story for the magazine and talked to Mike Nolan, who was a defensive coordinator. And he was kind of explaining to me, he was like, yeah, there's some games where we don't put them, you know, we don't want them in the box because, you know, he's a 5'11", 200 pound safety. And there are games where he's, you know, able to go better than other games, depending on the wear and tear. And that's something that's like, you know, that's the, you know, the load component of that is something that, that they, they have taken into effect for a while. I want to give you a name that you mentioned in, in your story last week that I have not heard much at all during the draft process. And I assume this person will get drafted at some point, but it's another case of, this is a person who had a position in college where we just talk about them all the time, but in the NFL that their, their skills don't necessarily translate as well. But you said that some of the coaches you talked to said that Sam Ellinger, the Texas quarterback had some great interviews. So what, what can we expect from a draft perspective of Sam Ellinger? Like we're, we're day three sometime. Probably day three. Here's the, the challenges with Sam because people really liked him and look, you know, if you know, you've dealt with him, I've dealt with him. He is an incredibly mature kid. He's he's got a good story. Um, he's very thoughtful and was everything to that program when it was on shaky wheels for a while. The 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 downside is he was more of a you know, he did a, more of a running quarterback, but he's not anywhere near like Taysom Hill athletically. He's just not, you know, he ran 4-7 plus. And so his four seven five or whatever. So his speed isn't great. His size isn't even that great. Like he's a strong kid, but it's not like um, you know he's he's like Tim Tebow's size or Taysom Hill's size. And the other thing is like they said his ball comes undone a lot of times. Like they don't think he throws it well enough, right? So I mean, you start getting into a little bit of you know. If, I remember two years ago people were talking about. Jake Fromm as a top 10 pick. And I remember like, I was saying like, are these people watching him? Cause his arm is nowhere near that. And Fromm right. was not as athletic even as, as, uh, as Ellinger. As Ellinger. Yeah. Uh, but again, when you have a guy who does not have, you know, an NFL, like a, a plus NFL arm has limited, uh, limited athleticism. And then people think he's not very accurate. And, and again, Sam's accuracy is a question mark. So I don't think, the, the best traits you have are the intangibles. And then after that, it's not like he is, if he ran four, five, two at that, I think people would look at him as like a little more intriguing option, but because he runs, you know, sub four, eight, four, seven, five, I think that's like, okay, he's not going to be so much of a playmaker that way. He's not that accurate. I'm, I suspect he will be on a roster because people will want him in the quarterback room. And, um, you know, but I, I don't know if he's going to be, fall in the category of, of a little bit like a Jake from Matt Barkley. Yeah. It's, it, it's crazy how that works, but that's, we see that a lot with quarterbacks, you know, and, and, you know, Kellen Mond is another one four year starter at Texas A&M, but we, we don't know where he's going to be. He's going to be higher than, than Sam Ellinger. He's potentially a day two pick. Um, I saw yeah, somebody people, mock people him are... in, in the bottom of the first round of the bucks. Yeah, some of the things that people like about him, they like how he stands in the pocket. He is a better athlete than than Ellinger. Um, he also, I think his arm is better. And the other thing that, that was mentioned to me, because there was definitely a lot of inconsistency with him, was that uh, his key numbers in terms of sacks taken, interceptions, 
they went down even though he lost like his four of his best receivers right before the season. So the question was, Jimbo coached him really hard and that was good, but there was also like he got a little robotic was what people said. And so if you get him to play a little freer and sometimes maybe just take off and run instead of, you know, just kind of like, oh, I got to I got to stand and deliver. You know, he may be better. Like it wouldn't surprise me if Kellen Mond had I don't want to say a better career in the NFL than he did in college because he had a good career in college. But um, his intangibles are good. Like I'm not one of the people who, who like if you told me of the three quarterbacks who are in that next group, which is Davis Mills from Stanford, Trask, and Mond. It wouldn't surprise me if Mond ended up being the guy who who had the best NFL career. Well, like Davis Mills and Walker Little, I feel like both Stanford guys, different positions, obviously, but I feel like injury so, histories because of injuries. There's no, there's so little of a sample size. They could both be great. They could both be terrible. We have no idea. Yeah, and and with Davis Mills, one of the coaches told me he was like, I don't know, like if I was him, he has not started a lot of games. He looked really, really good against his NFL. His uh, UCLA film is really good, but maybe you stay another year in David Shaw's system. Now, obviously, they're losing uh, Fajoko, their big receiver, but and you have a chance to be that guy as a first round quarterback because there's not going to be Trevor Lawrence in the draft. There's not going to yeah, be Sam Howell is is the guy we're talking about as number one, but. Physically, we wouldn't be talking about him as number one in a normal year. No, I mean six one two ten two fifteen. Like right, and so that's yeah, that's the thing. And and also like I'm curious, you know, with Sam, he's losing four big time skill guys. You know, he's Deami Brown's maybe as dynamic a big you know big play receiver. He's losing two really good running backs. I'm not saying they're going to fall apart. Yeah, and and Daz Newsome too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are really good skill guys. That's going to be it may be hard to be as good as they were on offense in 2021. I, I got one more question before I let you go, Bruce. Guy you wrote about the other day who may end up in the first round. I'm not sure a lot of people know about him. Uh, Kentucky linebacker, Jamin Davis. Uh, he's, he seems to be very popular among the, uh, the scouting circles. Yeah, I missed him, Andy, on the freaks list last year. Um, so he comes to Kentucky. He's a South Georgia kid. They basically beat like Purdue and, you know, an FC, not an FCS, a, a group of five school to get him. Uh, he's 195 pounds. Credit to Mark Stoops. They they liked his length. They also liked his genetics. His Both parents are military. His dad is a big dude. Uh, and so they saw him, took a chance. He He is a one-year wonder. Uh, he probably would have played a lot in 2019, but he uh, hurt his hamstring before the year. The other thing of the circumstances were he probably was not going to be their starting Mike linebacker last year, except their starting Mike linebacker, the guy they thought had a stroke. Had a stroke yeah. And that's just, that's been a real sad story on that side of it. He ends up getting the job and just plays his butt off. The guy tests off the charts. I mean, he told me I could... He, he broad jumped 11 feet at 6'4", 235. He was like, I could do 11'6". <laughs> uh, wow. Vertical jump, 42 inches. He ran the 40 at like 4'4", four, four flat. I mean, just a super freak athlete. Stuck with with Kyle Pitts in coverage. I mean, yeah, very, and no, no linebacker anywhere did that when Kyle Pitts was in college. That, he's the only one. Yeah, and as one of the coaches said, he made it look easy. Um, so, you know, there's a play where... He, he makes a 85-yard, uh, has an 85-yard pick six against Tennessee. Just, 
like there's there I'll be surprised if he is not a first round pick. I mean, yes, he was a one year wonder, but he was a one year wonder in the SEC playing a full load of SEC games. He was not a one year wonder at some uh some group of five program. And his right. and again, his measurables are remarkable. Like just you just don't see a lot of athletes that big with a year of good film that way. I mean, he'll I think he will end up somewhere in the first round. Yeah, that that and that's the fun part is when we get that guy that it's like, wait, who? But if you were subscribing to the athletic, that you already knew about that. You already read about him because Bruce told you all about him. So that is the beauty of that. But Bruce, I can't wait. I, I'm so excited. I mean, we know what we know number one is Trevor Lawrence. And and in your story, you you know, you you had the 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 folks lavishing praise upon him and why he's a no-brainer. Number two is Zach Wilson, and then things get really, really interesting. So I cannot wait to to watch. I can't wait for our group text during the draft, and then I can't wait to break it all down afterward. Yeah, it's 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 one of the funnest things I think for football. And it's like you know, it's like all right, I know what I'm doing for the you know for that three day stretch or whatever. And I I just think because this year there was less traditional evaluation because of the pandemic and for all sorts of reasons. I think it's going to be even harder evaluation for the NFL and there's going to be a lot of debate about it. Well, I'm going to be in Jacksonville where there will be no debate about the guy they're taking first. So we'll, we'll, we'll see Urban Meyer take his victory lap on, on Thursday night after getting Trevor Lawrence. And then what else happens? Who knows? That's the best part. We'll talk to you right after the draft. <laughs> 